since we're past Thanksgiving now, we are going to begin to turn our eyes toward Christmas Day and turn our hearts toward Christmas Day together. Um, I have loved uh, celebrating Thanksgiving and sharing that with you as our church family, and I'm very excited to get to share Christmas together with you this year. As your pastor, it will be a new, a new thing for me and Kim and the boys, and we're, we're extremely grateful to get to do that. And so, as a part of celebration of Christmas, Christmas is full of lots of traditions, isn't it? You guys have traditions that you, you pull together as a family and that are a part of your Christmas, and, and we have traditions as a church family that, that we do together to celebrate during Christmas, and... Um, and we do, the Welchels have a few. And if you know anything about us at all, if you've been a part of this family for a while and you've gotten to know us at the very least, you know that um, it's, it's not really officially Christmas in the Welchel house until we watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. That is, uh, how, how many other people say that's a part of our tradition every year we have to watch Charles Schultz, a Charlie Brown Christmas? Well, if it's not... A tradition at your house, you should make it one. Um, there is no other holiday special that is greater than a Charlie Brown Christmas. I love the Grinch, I love Frosty, love all those other ones, but there is none greater than Charles Schultz's classic, A Charlie Brown Christmas. And the special was produced and first aired in 1965. And when that special came on television, it broke down so many barriers for television, for what Christmas holiday specials were. And many of those things were because of Charles Schultz and his creativity and the faith that he incorporated into the Peanuts stories and characters. And one of the big things that made that such a breakthrough Christmas special was Linus's answer to Charlie Brown's question when he cries out in frustration, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And I love the way Linus so simply and so calmly says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he walks to the center of the stage and the spotlight goes on him and he recites from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. But you know, Charlie Brown, in the midst of the commercialism that he sees, in the midst of Snoopy's decorated doghouse for the lights contest, in the midst of Sally getting him to help write her letter to Santa, which is full of all sorts of, you know, 10s and 20s is <laughs> what she asked for. Just in the midst of all of these things, Charlie Brown cries out in frustration, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And do you know that there are still people around us who are really genuinely asking that question? Because think about the midst of, we see in the cartoon what Charlie Brown is living and trying to find Christmas in the midst of. Look at what we have to try to find the true meaning of Christmas in the midst of. It's, it's really crazy. I mean... Christmas trees are up in the stores in October. So there's this big retail boom at the, at the very end of October where everything begins to look like Christmas. There's Amazon Prime, which makes it so easy. And y'all, I, I have to say, I really love 
Amazon Prime. Uh, it makes it so easy. Click a couple of buttons, it shows up at your door. There are Hallmark Christmas movies. There's usually two reactions. Nice, nice pleasant smiles on the face of the wives and eye rolls from the husbands. Because they're so predictable, aren't they? I can't, I can't sit down and watch Hallmark movies with Kim because... I spend most of my time predicting what the ending is going to be because the storyline to everyone seems to be pretty much the same, and, and I kind of make fun at them, and she, and she gets on to me. So um, every once in a while, we run across, across one that, that, that I'll sit and enjoy with her. And, and then when we think about getting our families together for the holidays, let's just be honest, sometimes it feels like the Griswolds um, with our families, just how... Uh, crazy and chaotic things seem to become. And so in the midst of all of these holiday things, there are, there are still people who genuinely want to know what Christmas is really all about. And most of us, if we're here this morning, we would say, well, we know what Christmas is all about. It's about Jesus coming down out of heaven, being born to become the Savior of the world, right? Absolutely, That's, that, that, that is true. But even within the truth of that statement, there is so much more that Christmas is all about. And if we only stop there, I think we sell the story of Christmas short. I believe that we don't really embrace the fullness and the depth of what Jesus coming to earth, what we call the incarnation. I don't think we really understand the depths of that. And so this morning, I want us to begin to try to open our eyes and see just how huge that is. We're going to begin a sermon series today, and I'm going to kind of be introducing it, and we're calling it His Name Shall Be Called. And in these next four weeks to come, we're going to look at the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to look at the four names that Isaiah ascribes to Jesus in that prophecy. And how Jesus has come to be all of those things in the world. And how Jesus has come to be all of those things in our lives and in our hearts. But today, I want us to begin our, our journey into Christmas not from the story in the Gospels and not from Isaiah. I want us to go to Philippians this morning. So I want you to find Philippians chapter 2. I believe that we can find in this text the absolute true meaning of what Christmas really is all about. So if you'll go to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 5. I'm going to read the entire passage to you and then we're going to go back and, and break it down bit by bit. But from the NIV, Philippians 2, chapter, um, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11 says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, as we dive into Paul's words here in Philippians, we want you to open our minds and our hearts, God. We want to get beyond the superficial. God, we want to dive beyond the commercialism of Christmas, and we even want to get beyond the surface understanding of what Jesus coming to earth, what Emmanuel really meant. So God, as we open the text today and we look into it, challenge us, deepen our hearts toward our own individual and our corporate celebration of what Christmas really is all about. We love you so much. And we ask for your, your wisdom and your understanding this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's go back to the very beginning, and I want us to walk through these verses together. Verse 5, Paul begins and says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, let's stop there before we get any further into all the truth that's in this text. I want you to think about for a minute the life of Jesus and Jesus spent most of his ministry telling stories, telling parables, teaching through those. And why do you think Jesus told so many stories and parables? It wasn't just to tell a good story. And it wasn't just to give the parents good bedtime stories to share with their kids at night. He would tell stories because there was truth about the kingdom that he wanted to communicate. And he wanted that truth to break into the hearts of people, and then he wanted that truth to not only get into their hearts, but to come out in their life. And this is the very same thing that Paul is saying to us, to the church, as he is about to unfold the mystery of the incarnation. He says, I'm not just going to tell you what happened in the incarnation. I want to tell you so that the truth of it will come out into your relationships with one another. Let what I'm telling you about Jesus change the way you live and change the way you treat one another. I think for us to really experience the true meaning of Christmas, we have to understand that Christmas is not to provide us with a celebration, but it's for the purpose of creating transformation in our lives. Did you get that? Christmas is not just to give us something to celebrate. It's supposed to change us. It's supposed to make us different. And Paul says, in those relationships with one another, have the same mind as Jesus had. And so now, beginning in verse 6, he's going to say, this was the mind of Jesus in the incarnation. This is what happened when Jesus came to save us. So now look at verse 6. This is Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now there are three really important truths that are in these couple of verses. First of all, 
the truth that Jesus is fully and eternally God. Completely and fully God. The original languages here in verse 6 emphasize that before the incarnation and during the incarnation and after the incarnation, Jesus was fully divine in every way. Then though he became man, he never ceased to equally be God fully in every way. This is the mystery of fully God and fully man. And we will see that again later in the text. Colossians 1.15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. John chapter 1 verse 1 says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. These all speak of Jesus. And so in his condescending, in his coming down to earth, never once did he give up his nature of being fully, completely divine. The second thing that this, these verses tell us is that Jesus didn't have to pursue equality with God because it was something he already had. We know what the scriptures tell us about Lucifer. And Isaiah, Isaiah talks about Lucifer and how he was the highest of the angels. He was the worship leader of heaven. But because of his pride and his arrogance, he was cast out of heaven. And he became Satan because he wanted more. What was it that he pursued? Equality with God. He said, I want, I'm not equal with God, but I will be. I will be like the Most High. And that's what got him kicked out of glory. It was something he was trying to seize. It was something he was trying to grab hold to for his own advantage. And Paul says here, that Jesus didn't have to seize it because he already had it. Your, some of your translations may say that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be held on to. Jesus didn't have to pursue it and grasp it and hang on to it because it was already his. It was in his nature. He was completely equal with God. But then that third truth is, though he held equality with God, he didn't grasp it with like a death grip. He was willing to let it go. He was willing to set aspects of his equality with God to the side. Now, he could never stop being equal with God. And Jesus, even in his time on earth, was still fully equal with God. But he laid aside his glory. When he came to earth. He laid aside his privilege as co-creator, as the son of God. The glory and privilege that went along with his nature was what he laid down. He never lost his nature. He was still always completely and fully God. And he stepped down being made in human likeness. He looked like everybody else. He didn't have a glow. He didn't have an aura about him. He looked just like the rest of us. 
but it says that he didn't just come to be a human. He could have, he could have condescended from being the king of kings to the king of the world or the king of Israel. But that wasn't even the plan. He, he came as a servant. He stepped even lower. Paul says he made himself nothing. And the Greek words there means that Jesus emptied himself. He poured himself out until nothing was left. He gave up all of his glory. All of the privilege as the son of God. And he let that go for us. To come and save us. Something happened to, to Kim and I this, this weekend. Um, we are those people who Black Friday shop. We are those people who go out and get in the lines. And if we find a good deal, we go after it. When you have, when you have three kids, you try to save as much money as you can save, right? So this weekend, uh, we, had, we found ourselves at Walmart... On Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, because they had these great deals for new phones, and Ben, it, it was actually going to be for Ben's birthday, and we we need, we were going to get him a new phone, and so we could save a lot of money, get this big gift card if we got it at Walmart. So we went through and did the thing. We went to Walmart on Thursday night, and as we were going, we 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 needed to find out where to get in line because you know when you go to Black Friday shop at Walmart, everything is all jumbled up in the store. If you want um, you know, video games, you have to go to where the cheese and the meat is, like in the produce department. Or if you want, you know, you, electronics are in, the, are in the, you know, garden center or something. I mean, things are just all mixed up, spread out all over the store. So you have no idea where to go. And so we walked in and asked one of the clerks, said, where, where do we get in line to, to get the phones? And uh, she said, well, I don't know exactly that gentleman there is the head over that department. He's talking to somebody. If you'll wait just a second, I'll get him, and he'll, and he'll tell you where to go. Yes, ma'am, that's great. So we were patiently waiting for him to finish. As we were waiting on him, another lady came up with the same question that we had. Where do we, where do we go to get in line for the phones? And we, and we struck up a conversation and said, oh, well, that's what we're doing. We're waiting to find out, too. Uh, that she's, she's waiting on that guy. He's going to tell us where to go. So once he finished his conversation, he came over to us. And we asked, where do we go to get in line with the phones? You go to the shoe department to get in line for the phones. Who would have known that? And he says, you need to go to aisle J21 in the shoe department. And y'all, as soon as he said J21, this lady who walked up after we did, after we had stood there for about five minutes, patiently waiting on, on the, the worker to finish his first conversation, as soon as he said J21, she took off in front of us. And so we didn't like that. I'm just, about, I'm just being real with y'all. We were like, what in the world? So she took off ahead of us, and so we started chasing after her with, with the goal of figuring out a way to get around her so that we can get back in the spot that we were supposed to be in because we should be at least one spot ahead of her because she came up and asked after we did. And so I'm walking, you know, we're walking kind of fast. Like, here we are, it's crowded anyway. We're walking kind of fast, and we don't have a buggy or anything, and I'm walking, and y'all, no kidding, I literally 
Kim passed me like, like we were doing NASCAR or something. Like, she, I'm walking, and the lady's in front of me, and Kim walks up, and she gets dead nose-to-nose with this lady. And we, and we get to the aisle. Well, well, she, you know, she had the inside lane, I guess. And so she got into the aisle before we did. So we stand in line, and here's this lady in front of us. And, and I'll just be honest with y'all. We were, we were ugly. We were bad. We were standing there, and she was turned around, and we were giving, you know how you do, you give each other the look like she shouldn't be in front of us, because she broke in line, and you know, you kind of want to say something, but you don't want to say something, because you know it's really bad, and so eventually, eventually we got over it, because what you're afraid of in those kind of situations, you get yourself so worked up, what we were thinking was, if this lady gets in front of us, and she gets the last phone that we want... And we don't get it because she broke in line in front of us. We're going to be mad. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't I? I know I'm not the only one. So everything worked out fine. Long story. You know, the end of the story, we got what we went for and everything was fine. But later on after that and this weekend as I was preparing for this and I came, I came to this passage and I was remembering I felt so ashamed because I let my emotions get worked up over one spot in a line in a store to get a phone. And I didn't want to let go of one space in a line. And Paul says Jesus gave up every privilege in every right that he had as the son of God and came to rescue me. And I was just overwhelmed with humiliation before the Lord and had to repent. He did that so that we could be sons and daughters of God. Don't you think that that's a message that the world needs to hear? That Jesus... Gave up. I mean, if Jesus is in line, he's at the front, y'all. He's at the very front. And he gave up his place to, like, not just get in the back of the line, but to, like, stand outside the store. And he did that in eternity so that I could be called a son of God. So that we could be called sons and daughters of God. John 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He said, I will give you the right to be in that same privileged position that I'm in. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says that Jesus humbled himself. He laid aside the glory of his nature and he took on the appearance of a man. And as we've said already, the glory of Jesus was was veiled in his time on earth. It was was covered. He didn't look any different than anyone else. Jesus never set aside his nature as being God and he never set aside the power that came with him being God. God, but yet he did take the glory and the privilege and set it aside. 
and his glory was, was veiled to the world. Do you remember in Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus pulled back the veil for just a moment and he allowed those disciples on the mountain with him to see his glory, to see just a glimpse of who he really was in his full glory. And that wasn't even the fullness of his glory. It was just a, it was just a peak. And he unveiled it. And it was almost too much for them to handle. Isaiah 53, the prophet said that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He set aside all of that. Being found in appearance as a man. And becoming obedient to death. He humbled himself to obedience. Not only did he set aside his glory. But he set aside his independent exercise of his own will and authority. So that he could place himself under the authority of the Father. Obedient. You hear Jesus' words all through the Gospels. He said, I've come to do the will of my Father. I can only do what my Father allows me to do, tells me to do. I'm only going, I've come to honor and pursue the will of my Father. He placed himself underneath the authority of the Father in obedience. He showed that through his whole ministry, but, but the, the pinnacle of that obedience was in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he laid on his face before the Father and and sweat literal drops of blood and said, if there's any other way, if there's some way this cup can pass for me, Father, let it. But nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. The ultimate picture of submission and obedience. And he says he became obedient to death. Now, here's something that I don't think many of us have grasped before, and it blew my mind when I realized it. Is death ever an issue of obedience for us? No, it's not. Because for us, it is a necessity. It's a requirement. We are mortal human beings, and death is an essential part of our life. Now, the way we die... When we die, where we die, those are all variables. But death itself is inevitable for us. We can never willingly or obediently give ourselves over to death. Maybe the way we die, but not death itself. Because that's the destiny of all of us, because we're mortal. So the only person that can become obedient to death is one who's eternal. One who doesn't have to experience death. Jesus was eternal. He was divine. He didn't have to experience death, yet he chose to obey the Father's plan even to death. That he set aside his immortality and he took on mortality and allowed mortal human beings to carry out his death. He 
He was the only one that could be obedient to death. And that obedience was driven by his love for his father. It was driven by his love to accomplish the plan of his father. And it was driven by his love for us. The ones who would be rescued by the plan of his father. And Paul says it wasn't just death that he became obedient to. It was even death on a cross. Not just human death, which could have come by stoning or by hanging or by being beheaded or any of the other ways people died in that day. But Jesus became obedient not just to death, but to death on a cross. The most painful, humiliating, horrific, gruesome death that anyone knew of. He became a curse for us. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And you may be thinking, wow, Eric, that makes Christmas sound pretty depressing. But it's not, because that's not the whole story. We still have verse 9. Go with me to verse 9. This is the glory of what Christmas is all about. Verse 9, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Is there any other place higher than the highest place? Nope. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. That therefore in verse 9 is because of his obedience. Because Jesus humbled himself, because he lowered himself and subjected himself to mortal humanity to follow after and chase the obedience of to his father's plan. Therefore, because of that, because Jesus pursued the will of the Father and because he accomplished it, God has exalted him. God took Jesus who lowered himself for us and has lifted him up and exalted him. He's taken Jesus who willingly took on the lowest form of a servant and he's elevated him and given him the highest place and given him the highest name. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The name of Jesus was mocked on earth. It was despised. He was rejected. He was murdered by men. And God says, that name is no longer Disrespected. It's no longer despised. I'm taking his name and putting it up above every other name. And here's something I want you to think about. When you read the gospel accounts, 
And when the angel came to Joseph and told him what was happening in Mary and that Mary was going to give birth to a son, the angel tells Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus was the name given to him by his earthly father. Lots of people had the name Jesus in that day. This Jesus was not the only Jesus that was walking around. So the name of Jesus itself in that day, not really that big of a deal. But the glorified name of the Son of God is not the name that Joseph gave him. It's the name that his father gave him. Because he accomplished his will. Look at verse 11. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who? Say it again. One more time. That's his name. That's his glorified name. That is the name that the Father has given him because of his obedience. He's not just Jesus anymore. He's not just the son of Joseph and Mary. He's not just the carpenter anymore. He's not just that guy who the Romans crucified on the cross. He is Lord now. That's the name given to him by his father. That's the name that's above every other name. That's the name that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we're going to look at all the names in this series that, that Isaiah gives him. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is just what we knew him as when he was here. But his name, his name is so much greater than Jesus. It's Lord. It's King of Kings. Everything that Jesus willingly set aside and let go of to come to earth, the Father restored to him. He gave him back his glory. He gave him back the privilege. He gave him back his riches in heaven. Everything that he let go of to come to accomplish the will of the Father, the Father says, I'm giving it all back. I'm restoring you to your rightful place as king of the universe. Full honor, full privilege, full glory. Just a few weeks ago, we, we read about the encounter between Pilate and Jesus. And in John 18, 37, Jesus says something that I think echoes the manger. In verse 37, You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. Look at what he says. I was born for this. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens 
to my voice when Jesus stood face to face with Pilate. He said, this was the plan all along. This is why I've come. To face what I'm about to face. Folks, the climax of the story of Christmas isn't the manger. (laughs) The climax of the story of Christmas is the cross and the empty grave. That's Christmas. The, The child who was born came to rescue us. The child who was laid in the manger was the beginning of the rescue mission. But the rescue mission was accomplished on the cross and when he walked out of that grave that third day. That is what Christmas is really all about. Charlie Brown.